the GD Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. Welcome to the GD Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very, very pleased to have Dr. Nicholas Mink in studio with us. He's the chief executive officer of Sitka Salmon Shares and a proud sponsor of the Mike Novak Show. We're very glad to have them as a sponsor on our show. Uh, if you're in GD land, we don't play the commercials, but if you're listening on the real radio or if you go to uh, our Facebook page or the 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 podcast uh, at MikeNovak.net, you will catch it. So yep. welcome, Nick. We've talked several times, once live at the Good Food Expo. They used to call it the Good Food Festival, um, uh, uh, put on by FamilyFarmed.org. And we waxed poetic on a lot of different things, and we're going to get into some of those things right now. But first of all, i got to thank you for being a sponsor of the show. It's great. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be in – am I in Evanston or Wilmette? I get confused. <laughs> Evanston. Evanston. Okay. It's great to be in Chicagoland. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is going out all over Chicago. So, uh, and to other areas of the country. That's right. Well. That's true because – I told my mom to stream it. She's oh. in Louisville. Excellent. Hi, Mom. Hey. And uh, <laughs> and we're, we're in Las Vegas and – Rapid City, South Dakota, and State College, State Pennsylvania, Pitt, Sarasota, Florida, and many more to follow. So um, that's where folks are listening to us as well. Tell us a little bit about Sitka Salmon Shares. How did this concept come about to do this company? Um, I moved to Alaska 10 years ago to help protect and uh, promote the fisheries up there. And we, we uh, immediately stumbled on an idea with a few fishermen that one of the best ways to protect and uh, promote these small-scale salmon fisheries was to um, tell its story and to sell it. And and so, um, you know, in the last eight years, we've grown from a couple fishermen to a couple dozen fishermen and a few hundred uh, CSF members to a few thousand. And it's a it's a community-supported fishery, so if you know anything about community-supported agriculture, it's a very similar concept. Uh, people buy uh, a share of the harvest from one of our uh, 20 boats, and uh, we... I have a little processing plant in Sitco where we cut it into portions and, and uh, flash freeze it and ship it down to uh, to just outside of Chicago in Galesburg where we uh, do all of our secondary packaging and our boxing and mm-hmm. we put it together with a nice newsletter and recipes for the month and then it shows up on people's doorsteps, fish directly from the fishermen. It's, it sounds like it's very involved and in that there's a lot of distance in this whole thing. I mean, you're going from Alaska to Galesburg, but then you're going out around the Midwest and you include what? The states of Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota a little bit? Yeah, we're we're in most of the Midwest uh, now. I mean, we have our own home delivered uh, program in Chicago mm-hmm. and Madison, Milwaukee, but we we drop ship to, to most of the rest of the Midwest, meaning we can get fish to you with FedEx. And you've got distribution centers in what Madison, Wisconsin, Schaumburg, yeah. Illinois. Yep, yep, and then and then Galesburg. So okay. we do all of our home deliveries in Wisconsin out of uh, out of Madison, and okay. then we do all of our uh, home deliveries in Chicago out of Schaumburg. And I have full disclosure here: I have a share, and um, it is some of the best fish I have ever tasted in my life. And you, and you don't know that until you get it. 
You don't you don't understand the difference until you actually get the product because I've bought frozen fish before. Um, I like I love salmon, and uh, we got this share, and the first time we took it out and fixed it, and we did very little. It was like you know, uh, garlic and lemon and butter, and very simple. And we just thought, oh my goodness, this is unlike anything we've ever eaten. Yeah, seafood is just one giant market failure after another, right? Whether whether it's whether it's quality, whether it's sustainability, yeah. whether it's uh, you know fish fraud, and there's all sorts of things you should be doing to a fish when it's pulled out of the water that just the current industry doesn't do as it relates to creating a quality product. And um, you know, unfortunately, um, industrial fishing methods and industrial aquaculture methods don't don't allow that to happen, and so. Uh, most of the time, people don't like fish. I I, uh, I was just talking to um, uh, a couple of friends, and and you know we were we were uh, discussing that. You know, imagine if two out of every ten gallons of milk we bought at a grocery store was bad, <laughs> and it's kind of crazy that we wow. that that we uh, do that with fish. You know, you know, probably one out of every five pieces of fish you get at a grocery store is kind of. Eh, I don't really want to eat this, and uh, <laughs> and there's really important reasons in the supply chain for that, and and uh, really it all goes back to who's harvesting the fish and right. the, mm-hmm. and and creating. Although it's a three thousand mile supply chain that we have, it's relatively simple. It's very direct. Um, there's not middleman after middleman after middleman. Everything stays within the company, and that just allows us to have this kind of laser focus on quality and sustainability. Which, in 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 some ways, you should have a, a fish that tastes unlike anything else that you would buy anywhere. What makes the difference in, in how a commercial, large commercial o- operation or an aquaculture versus a small fishery? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple big uh, reasons. Um, one is most fish are heat damaged, meaning uh, most large-scale fisheries, you know, hold fish at 40 degrees mm-hmm. and the supply chain is like an 8 to 14-day supply chain. I mean, our fish are all down to 30.9 degrees within 45 minutes. Um, everything is is processed on board the vessel. So obviously, the first thing that goes bad in any fish is, you know, the blood and the guts. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you have to get all that out immediately. Yeah. And uh, for most large-scale industrial fisheries, that doesn't happen. Um, and then we have some proprietary fra- flash freezing processes in place that bring our fish down to 80 below, kind of almost cryogenically frozen so that the decomposition of that this really perishable and delicate product never happens. And with large-scale industrial fisheries, fish are caught in giant nets by the ton. They're not cleaned. They're not uh, made cold. They're delivered very slowly. Um, and all of that basically creates the kind of fishy, decomposed, degraded fish that most people are used to, to eating. Yeah, smell, you, texture, yeah. taste. You, <laughs> you mentioned the last time you were on the show that – if you buy frozen fish, there's a likelihood, a good likelihood, that it will have been that way for over a year. Oh yeah, yeah, at least a year, and it will have. Uh, there's an even better likelihood that it was shipped to, to China, uh, where it was uh, defrosted, uh, cut into portions, refrozen, and shipped back to San Diego. My goodness, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the typical supply chain: is your fish is is over eight, eighteen months old, I would say, and then it's it's uh, traveled. Uh, at least from Alaska to Seattle, Seattle to China, China to San Diego, and then sits in a warehouse and then eventually gets to your to your grocery store often months later. What about the the catching of the fish? the your uh, fishing families use lines, right? 
Yeah, I mean, everything that we can catch on hook and line is caught on hook and line, and that's just – it's the most ecologically sensitive way mm-hmm. of doing it, right? We – uh, there's some some studies that suggest uh, we leave four out of five fish in the water. Uh, so when our guys put their their hook and line down there, they catch 20% of the fish, and the other 80% are able to reproduce uh, that mm-hmm. population. And and when you uh, buy from a larger net fishery, which is the the vast 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 majority, 90% of the globe's uh, wild fisheries, it's you know you are indiscriminately catching everything uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, being uh, scooped up by that net, and obviously that's not a very good thing for our oceans. It's not a very good thing for our fish, and it's also not a very good thing for fishermen who want to do do things the right way because it creates a lot of disincentives in the market. You said you went to Alaska. To backtrack a little bit here, you said you went uh, ten years ago to change or to help the 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 fisheries up there what were csfs a thing at the time yeah i think most people think the first one started about 10 years ago uh in uh maine um and so they were very 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 new um and uh we actually worked uh, there's actually two Sitka CSFs. There's one that operates locally called Alaskan Zone, ah. and they sell to uh, folks largely in southeast Alaska, and we worked with them. Uh, they launched, I believe, two years before we did, mm-hmm. and uh, we launched this Midwestern model that was largely um, uh, taught to us by what they were doing. So it's a relatively new thing, um, but now there's uh, 400 of them. And um, they reach from coast to coast. It's uh, obviously they're uh, like with farmers. They help share the risk for fishermen. They help get fish. Uh, they help get consumers better quality fish, and they help uh, improve the livelihoods of these you know small scale artisanal style fishers that still exist uh, in a lot of places uh, in the United States, but have a pretty doggone uh, hard time competing against uh, the industrial. Uh, fisheries model, which you find at most grocery stores and in, uh, um, you know, most anywhere where you buy fish. Well, that's part of the economics of it. How else is this sustainable for the fishing families? Well, I mean, it, it's 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 nice to know. One of the crazy thing is people don't understand. A lot of fishermen don't know what they're going to get paid for a fish when they deliver it to a large processor. They might not find out for weeks or months. Uh, and our fishermen know what they're going to get paid. They know months in advance that what they're going to get paid. It's uh, We remove a lot of volatility from the market. We work with our fishermen to give them short-term uh, loans to start the season. Um, and, and for them, it allows them to perpetuate this sort of smaller-scale artisanal lifestyle that they've always had. You know, remember, people have been, I mean, the Klingit have been fishing in Sitka for, you know, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of years, but uh, commercial fisheries have been uh, have been in Sitka for, you know, 150. And uh, it's only been in the last 30 years that technological innovation and large-scale industrial aquaculture and large-scale industrial fisheries have, like, profoundly eroded the way in which these small-scale fishermen can do business. Um, and you know this is a response to that. And what we do is we set up a very viable, clear, just market for them to sell their fish directly to people who appreciate it, mm-hmm. um, and they love it uh, as much as uh, our members do. And that you know all of our all of our boats want to <laughs> they 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 want to know who's at the end of their line. They want to know that people appreciate their fish instead of having to sell to a big commodity market. The conversation is going to go wherever it goes here. But one of the things that 
Peggy and I have been looking at is uh, climate change in the oceans. And when I put my blog together, Peggy sent me this great article she found from Reuters. And I had not been aware of this series. Um, And they're looking at the oceans and how things are changing. But that's really changing the way uh, we fish uh, in not just uh, the United States, but the the entire world. Um, So what is... What's the basic effect of climate change? I know it's it, when it warms the oceans, the fish move generally to cooler water, at least a lot. Do all species uh, like cooler uh, temps or are there warm? Uh, oh, yeah, there's there's, there's there's warm water species that are moving up into Sitka in new ways. And, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the oceans are warming faster than the land and Alaska is warming faster than the, uh, the rest of uh, the lower 48. And so... Um, you know, as a company um, and as fisheries managers, it's it's definitely something that we are going to have to be grappling with uh, over the next few decades if we want to continue to eat from the oceans because uh, fish behaviors um, are going to continue to change. They're going to continue to um, move around in brand new ways and and I think it's uh, it's probably a good thing we can discuss after the break, right? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> ah. I heard the music. He gets it. I heard the music. He gets it. You, you, you're going to take over this radio show when I'm done here. All right. This GD podcast is brought to you by the Envy Heater. The Envy Heater is a super efficient wall-mounted electric panel heater that looks great in any setting and heats up a room in just minutes. Costing only four cents per hour to run, the Envy Heater is a great product for people looking to reduce their carbon footprint and save money. Safety is a priority. They're great for homes with small children and pets because of their cool-to-the-touch design. It's easy to install Envy, and you can do it yourself in just a few minutes. Have more heat when and where you want it and spend less money with the Envy Heater. That's spelled E-N-V-I-H-E-A-T-E-R. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is Pucklebell's Chickens. I was going to say it was Chipmunk Chickens. No, these are, this is being performed with rubber chickens. Uh, and this is uh, a group called Two Set Violin. Or is it Two Violin Set? I don't remember. It's, it's all over the inner tubes. And it's this guy squeezing a rubber chicken and there's four screens, and you can see the whole Taco Bell chicken. So there we go. Okay, it's not not quite holiday, but I had I had to put that in there. Welcome back okay. to the <laughs> welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, Nick Mink is in the studio. Hey, we have a uh, we have a winner, Ellie. All right, do we have a name? Can we? Can Mary. We, let's talk to Mary. Mary, you're on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. I'm doing fine. Uh, I assume you you like salmon. You like fish. Yes, I do. Fantastic. A lot. <laughs> well, uh, you're going to get the uh, the holiday uh, package. The holiday. What do they call it? The kit. The holiday box. The holiday box. Limited edition. Holiday. Limited, Limited edition. edition. 
Uh, we didn't say the. She didn't say what the oh, answer yeah, was. Yeah, this what is, what is important. The, yeah, this. See, we got to make get, sure get to we the got this. What is the answer, Mary? <laughs> Vetted. Oh, the king salmon. Yes. All, All right. right. There you yes. go. Winner. And what was the? There were two species actually, right? Well, it's a king or chinook. It's the same species, oh, just it different. Is. Uh, okay, just a, di- di- variation as to. Uh, generally, in Alaska, we say king salmon, mm-hmm. and in Oregon, Washington, and California, they say chinook. Oh, the first time I had it was in Idaho. I have friends who live there, and they they made the salmon for for myself and my husband, and that's why I knew it. Fantastic! Well, I'm glad. I'm see it comes in handy to go visit your friends in Idaho. I think I will do that tomorrow. Right. There's, there's still a few Chinook in Idaho. Yeah, yeah. not not up very the, many though. Up the snake, yeah, not like yeah. they used to. Yeah, because they've uh, part of the the damming and all of that has kept the the runs. And that isn't that amazing though that. The, the runs would go that far inland up to into Idaho? Yeah, these I mean, these king salmon or the Chinook salmon are, are, are fish that are made to do these thousands and thousands of miles runs. And so, you know, the Snake, the Sacramento, obviously the Columbia was the really big Chinook or king salmon river uh, that at one time had 10 million king salmon running up it every year. And to give you some perspective, that's probably around a couple hundred thousand now. So mm-hmm. – uh, king salmon particularly are, are are not a very resilient salmon in the face of climate change, and um, their habitat and their uh, uh, has largely been destroyed by uh, urban development and damming, uh, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. There's still some around in, in, in and around Alaska. We still have some very large untamed wild rivers, but uh, some of the really important and, uh, and amazing king salmon habitat is uh, – is is largely not uh, viable anymore. Well, great. Well, thank you, Mary. We'll get that um, get the information off to Sitka, and they will get your holiday box on its way. Thanks, Mary. Good guess. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. Uh, Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, uh, another satisfied cups customer. And and you know you're talking about some of the things, Nick, that um, that we've done. Climate change is one of them. But we've hindered fish in many ways, especially mm-hmm. salmon, um, and in bottling up their runs and making it impossible for them yeah. to, to procreate, yeah. basically. And one of the things that we were talking about before the show was the um, in Alaska in the last election. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. ballot measure one to try to protect that habitat. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've we've done nothing but uh, dam and destroy uh, uh, salmon habitat in most of the lower 48. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember, uh, there's an Atlantic salmon, which is now almost entirely farmed. Uh, that had uh, really strong wild runs all in the in in New England and the Northeast through the 1930s, and uh, and they're they're basically extinct as commercially viable wow. viable wild populations there. Um, the lower 48 Pacific Northwest, uh, California, Oregon, and Washington. A lot of that ham- salmon habitat has been declined and damaged, and you know we're seeing uh, the effects of that with that uh, you know the last the southern resident orca. Uh, population that's basically starving in Puget Sound because they don't have enough uh, king salmon or Chinook salmon. And uh, Alaska is one of the few places left to have uh, really good, protected, viable salmon habitat. And um, uh, it just in this last uh, election, the Alaskan voters put a, a, a measure on the ballot to try to further protection, mm-hmm. uh, further protect uh, these salmon ha- habitats, which uh, right now are under 
uh, a lot of threat by very, very large-scale mining interests. Uh, you know, when I moved up to Alaska 10 years ago, I felt like our big threat was timber. Um, and in the last 10 years, it's really uh, transformed to mining. And um, Alaskans put a measure on the ballot to protect uh, salmon habitat even further uh, than uh, than what they have up there. And unfortunately, um, millions of dollars of of, uh, of money poured in from outside multinational oil, gas, and and uh, mining development companies, and the uh, spread a lot of it misinformation. And uh, unfortunately, the 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 measure was defeated and defeated pretty soundly. Um, really? So it, it it suggests that we need to have in Alaska um, uh, constant vigilance uh, to protect this uh, really one last pristine. Uh, place in the United mm-hmm. States, but also to protect this natural resource that if you just protect the habitat and make sure you don't uh, catch so many of them uh, that they can't reproduce, these salmon will come back forever uh, and they'll produce jobs. They'll you know continue uh, cultural traditions. They'll uh, make sure that Alaskans uh, as a state have a have a livelihood. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the nearsightedness of uh, you know, I guess Americans have always been somewhat nearsighted, but the nearsightedness... We're, we're pretty good at being nearsightedness. Yeah, we're, we're good at yeah. nearsightedness. I mean, the nearsightedness of some of these uh, large-scale mines on these um, really world-class salmon habitats is um, is pretty depressing. Yeah. So the point being that had the law passed, the waterways would have been protected from, what, the runoff from yeah, mines? Yeah, we would have... We, the, the state of Alaska would have better protection for salmon habitat, and two, there would have been more consequences uh, and had uh, these large-scale mining interests would have had more liability um, in the case of some sort of failure. Well, God forbid we, you know, make yeah. oil and gas companies have liability. Yeah, yeah. no, no. So, uh, yeah, no, unfortunately, there's a misinformation campaign that uh, talked about how outside environmentalists mm-hmm. had come and... Uh, um, you know, put this measure and people weren't going to be able to fish and people weren't going to be able to use their ATVs or uh, build houses on salmon habitat, which was, you know, totally not true. This was a, a, a measure and an initiative that was set up specifically to hold large-scale mining uh, and uh, oil and gas development interests what, responsible. What's their response when folks say to them, the species are disappearing Uh that, is that they don't care or or what? I mean, what's 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 the counter argument to that? You know, if you if you don't give those rivers back to the fish, they're gonna they're gonna go away. They're not going to exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, their their counter argument is that their technology is safe, and it has more to do with what's going. This is climate change, but uh, some of these declining populations, it has more to do with what's going on uh, in the ocean than it does on the terrestrial habitat, and so. Uh, they've pointed over and over again to uh, projects that have, um, you know, largely not destroyed salmon habitat. But of course, there are examples of of, of real huge large scale mining disasters that have uh, the big one happening about ten years ago in Mount Polly, which is a a, a mine uh, on a tributary of the Fraser, uh, which wiped out uh, years of sockeye salmon mm. in one of uh, the Fraser is one of those large, un, largely undammed wild rivers that still has incredible salmon habitat. So, um, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that um, this is where we've come to, but it it, it sort of is. <laughs> it is. Are we still? I, I maybe you don't know about this, and this is this question's out of left field, but you went uh, down 
this rabbit hole. The effects of the Exxon Valdez, uh, are they still being felt uh, in Alaska? Oh, yeah. I mean, so that was 30 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, the herring has never come back. Uh, the herring is this real keystone species on which the rest of the food web is built. And uh, in Prince William Sound, uh, the herring have never come back. A lot of the crab uh, haven't come back. And so, uh, oh, that that is still um, – being affected is still affecting uh, fishermen and, and and coastal communities in Prince William Sound. And, and people forget that. I mean, that was 30 years ago, and yeah. we still haven't seen some of these mm-hmm. really important fish populations recover. And I don't think we've even begun to understand the damage that was done in the Gulf of Mexico. No, uh, no. With, no. Uh, with the uh, Deepwater Horizon explosion, and I mean, that pumped out a, a lot more Mm-hmm. oil into the Gulf in a warmer area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we're just going to be paying the price for that for, for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that is uh, Dr. Nicholas Mink. Uh, he is with Sitka Salmon Shares. Very quickly, you were talking about the, the pebble mine, pebble in mine Alaska. in Alaska, which was involved in this initiative that got defeated. Yeah, the pebble mine is is uh, is a, a large scale open pit mine that is being proposed at the headwaters of this really important salmon uh, habitat called Bristol Bay, which is the it's the confluence of like a dozen of Alaska's most important sockeye rivers. Um, and one of the reasons why Measure One was put on the ballot is because of how profoundly damaging. Um, a significant ev- uh, event on if this pebble mine could be for um, really the world's last remaining big pristine sockeye habitat um, and that millions and millions, hundreds of millions of, of sockeye swim up this, uh, up this bay every single year and there's thousands of fishermen and mm-hmm. tens of thousands of jobs and, um, that are all being threatened by this, this, this pebble mine. Mm-hmm. And so that was the impetus for this Measure 1. One of the things I discovered um, in putting this together was uh, that aquaculture is uh, becoming a big thing. World cap, what they call capture fisheries, mm-hmm. which is where you catch the fish, and then uh, the aquaculture production, which is where you raise the fish. And aquaculture production has gone up considerably in the last few years. Uh, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is it uh, in the middle and different? How do you feel about it? So I think aquaculture, there's now more fish that are farmed than are caught. I think they assume that. And so I don't know. I see, I'm looking at your graph and it's, it's about right. It's about, yeah. e- it's yeah, about that's, equal. That's from the new um, uh, Food and Agriculture Organization yeah. from the UN study. Yeah. Uh, so there's about as many fish that are farmed that are caught. And um uh, it's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I, I always like to think of uh, the the question shouldn't be about farmed versus wild. It's about production and harvest methods, right? There is some really good aquaculture out there mm-hmm. uh, that is uh, has a minimal impact on the environment, doesn't degrade ecosystems, doesn't have bad runoff, isn't um, you know utilizing destructive fisheries methods to catch the fish that become the feed for this aquaculture, which mm-hmm. is one of the big things. But of course, there's tons of bad aquaculture as well. If you look at you know uh, the 150 million metric tons of seafood the world eats every year, uh, you know, probably 80% of the wild stuff that we catch is bad and 80% of the aquaculture stuff that we uh, create is bad. And so it's really looking past this farm versus wild, um, you know, binary and 
really interrogating, okay, what makes a good wild fishery in the same way what makes a good farmed fishery? And and the principles are, are, are still relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, uh, not consolidated as a family operation? Is it not degrading the ecosystem that these fish are, are being raised or caught in? And um, so I, I think the world needs aquaculture, but it also needs aquaculture that is generally much better than what the current aquaculture, the global industrial aquaculture <laughs> Uh, like system. anything, it gets yeah. turned into oh, oh, you know, it just becomes efficiencies and outputs mm-hmm. and capital, and you know, return on and capital invested, and make more uh, money, and make when more it, money, and when it becomes that, I mean, then you get the degradation of the habitat, you get the you get the poor quality for consumers, and so, and and that's just as uh, clear with with wild fisheries as well, and so we really, as consumers, have to remain. Very vigilant, and I don't think uh, we can rely just on this simple like, oh, wild fish is good and farmed fish is bad, because that's just not really, not really the case, and not not a good rule of thumb all the time. There you go. Now you know all about how to shop for fish, how to shop for salmon. Um, I would tell you if you're listening in GD land, you should get a uh, share. Um, it's it's a good way to support local fisheries, family. Mm-hmm. Outfits, they're just, uh, and oh, and by the way, the salmon's awesome. Yeah, and if you're looking for great ways to prepare it, their website, sitkasalmonshares.com, has recipes that have been contributed by CSF members from all over the country, and they had a big contest recently. And the reason we talk about it is because I are green. You are green? We are green. We are green. I are Devo. That's right. We are green. I are Devo. Until next time, go green or go home. Stadler? Oh, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 